So good morning again, everybody. Good. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> it's, uh, with the work meetings in Bodhinyana, in every morning the monks come together and we discuss what work we have to do. And uh, a few years ago we got into this tradition that the work monk, when he gives out the work, first he says, good morning, and then all the monks in unison, good morning. And uh, now we've got a new work monk who doesn't do that anymore. And it's not the same. <laughs> it's much less uh, fun. So, now i got to talk again, I suppose. And maybe I start with a little story. Because in a few weeks coming from now, it will be the range retreat. The range retreat is a period of the year that the monks spend three months in one place and we don't travel. And this is a tradition from the time of the Buddha. We just stay in one place to meditate. Let me put my glasses on so I see if you are actually not asleep. Oh no, everybody's paying attention. <laughs> And that range retreat will be coming up in three months. I'm looking forward to it, you too, Venerable. Yeah. And there's a story that there was once a range retreat a long time ago. And there was this monk staying in a hut. And there was a family who was supporting him because as monks we are reliant on the lay people. We cannot grow our own food. So... We rely on lay people for food. The lay people give us shelter and food. And in exchange, hopefully we can teach you some ways to meditate, deal with life, these kind of things. This creates like an interconnection between the lay people and the monks. So the monks always have some connection with the lay people. So we always check uh, uh, if we are behaving well and it always creates a nice community. Either way, this monk was supported by a family, a farmer, his wife, and their daughter. And the monk lived in that hut for three months. And every day, the farmer, his wife, and the daughter would bring food to the monk. And the monk very grateful for the food, meditated very well. But after the three months was over, he needed to move on, go back to see other monks, back to your monastery. And the farmer said, please don't leave us. You've been teaching us and we've been feeding you. It's been such so nice together. Can you please stay? And the monk said, no, sorry, I have to go. I have other duties. However, during my meditation, I developed some psychic powers. And I saw that there is a treasure buried nearby this farm. And I will tell you how to find the treasure in exchange for all the food that you've given me. 
Ah, oh, said the farmer, please, please tell me, how can I get the treasure? Yes, said the monk, what you need to do is grab a bow, an arrow, put the arrow on the bow and let it fly. Let the arrow fly and wherever the arrow lands, that is where you will find the treasure. And I am a monk and monks don't lie. So you can believe this to be true. Thank you so much, said the farmer. Sadu, sadu, sadu. Tomorrow I will do it. What time do I do it? And then the monk said, you have to shoot the arrow in the direction of the sun. No, point the arrow in the direction of the sun when the sun is just above the horizon and then let the arrow fly. Thank you, said the farmer. And then the monk left. The next morning, of course, the farmer couldn't wait. He couldn't sleep all night to give this a shelter. It's just like kids when it's uh, Christmas, you know. It's, he was going to find this treasure. So on the morning, he stood with his wife and his, uh, his, his kid. They stood on the doorstep of their house. This is actually where the monk told them to stand. Had the arrow on the bow, pulled the bow back, and let the arrow fly. And the arrow flew. And where it landed, they took a spade and started digging. Digging, digging, digging. For a long time, the farmer was digging. But no treasure he could find there. What is this? Thought the farmer. The monk told me that there would be treasure where the arrow landed if I let it fly. And monks don't lie. So I must have done something wrong. Then suddenly an, came a man walking up. Hey, why are you digging in my garden? This wasn't the merchant living next door. What are you doing here? And the farmer said, oh, I'm sorry, but I had this monk staying and he told me if I shoot an arrow in the direction of the sun in the morning, standing on my doorstep, and wherever it landed, I would find treasure. Oh, said the merchant. But I don't, I know why you didn't find the treasure. Look at you. You're all frail, all very old. You should let me shoot the arrow because I am much stronger than you. And then we will share the, 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 the treasure that we find and split it 50-50. How about that? Well, the farmer didn't really have a choice. So he said, okay, we can do that. Next morning, they were very excited again. Standing on the doorstep were now the farmer, the merchant, is the farmer's wife, and their daughter. And now this time, the merchant had the bow. And when the sun reached above the horizon, the merchant pulled back the arrow and shot in the direction of the sun. And the arrow flew much further than when the farmer shot it, because the merchant was more strong. And where the arrow landed, they took the spade. And this time, it was the farmer's wife who had to do the digging, because the farmer was still tired from yesterday. So the farmer's wife digging, digging, digging. And I couldn't find the treasure again. <gasps> what is this? And what happened? Another angry man came walking up. What are you doing digging in my garden? It was a general. 
of the army. They shot the arrow straight into the garden of the general. And the general said, what are you doing? And then the merchant says, well, uh, it's not my fault. It's the farmer who told me uh, to dig here. And then the farmer said, well, it's not my fault. It was the monk who told me to dig here. He said, shoot an arrow in the direction of the sun in the morning and monks don't lie. And then, then the general was like, yeah, you're right, monks don't lie, so uh, there must be something wrong. I know what it is. You, merchant, you're not strong enough to shoot the arrow. Next, next day, I will shoot the arrow. Okay, next day, next morning, now there were the farmer, his wife, and the daughter, the merchant, and the general standing all on the doorstep of the farmer's house where the monk told them to stand and let the arrow fly. Now, the general this time took the bow. And while the general was uh, like, uh, was like a bodybuilder, like, uh, uh, what's this guy called? Schwarzenegger. Schwarzenegger, yes. How do you know that I was thinking about Schwarzenegger? Yes, yes, of course. Schwarzenegger was, was uh, this general. And he took the bow. Wow, so much tension in the bow. And he shot the arrow in the direction of the sun. And the arrow flew and flew and flew. And it landed. It went over a wall, actually, and landed behind the wall. The wall was the wall around the king's palace. Oui. But they had to go in, and they took the spade. This time it was the merchant's time to dig. So the merchant started digging. After hours of digging, still no treasure. And who came out? The king, of course. And the king walked up to them. What are you doing digging in the palace grounds? You should go to jail. They said, oh, the, the general said, I'm sorry, it's not my fault. It's the merchant's fault. He told me to do it. The merchant said, oh, it's not my fault. It's the farmer's fault. He told me to do it. The farmer said, oh, it's not my fault. It's this, this monk who stayed at my place. And he said to let the arrow fly pointing in the direction of the sun in the morning and we would find treasure. And monks don't lie. The king was, yeah, you're right. Monks don't lie. So what happened? Next morning, the king, the general, and the merchant actually went to find the monk. Because this monk, the king thought, must have been lying. And now the monk should actually go to jail because he made, all, made people do all this hard work and digging in each other's garden and, and even in the palace grounds. So they went to find the monk, and they found the monk, and they brought the monk to the farmer's house. And the king said, you should go to jail because you've been lying. And the monk said, no, monks don't lie. Well, said the king, you told them to stand here in the morning and take the arrow and shoot in the direction of the sun. And then the monk said, I never said anything about shooting. I just said, put the arrow in the bow and let it fly. And then the king, the general, and the merchant suddenly understood. When they stood on the 
doorstep. They just had to let the arrow fall straight down. That was what the monk had been telling them, not to shoot. So they took a spade and dug, found a big treasure, and they split it evenly between the king, the merchant, and the farmer. And it was enough money for the farmer, the merchant, and the general to live a happy life. And the moral of this story is, we're always shooting after things, going after things. We point to the future. That is where we hope to find happiness. It's like we point the arrow of our desires and shoot always off somewhere in the distance. But if you can be content in the present and just let things go and be where you already are, then you will find happiness. And I am a monk, and monks don't lie. <laughs> so you can trust this. <laughs> it's quite a nice story. Ajahn Brahm tells it quite often. I don't know where it comes from. But it also reminds you of this quote that I read out yesterday from the Buddha. Don't revive the past or yearn for the future. The past is gone. The future hasn't arrived. Be aware of what happens in the present. Practice to be aware of it, unmoved, unshaken. And it sounds all very easy, I know, just to talk about being in the present moment and don't think about the future or the past. But who of you has been meditating and has been thinking in their meditation during this retreat about the future or the past? Yeah. This is very natural. And also this morning I was sitting meditation uh, in my hut and I thought, oh, present moment. But what did my mind do? Started thinking about what can I talk about <laughs> during this, uh, this talk. Very natural, of course. So I forgave myself straight away or didn't get angry like, okay, my mind is thinking about what I'm going to talk about. However, that's not what I want to do right now during meditation. Or because during meditation, try to quiet my mind. So I thought this morning I'd talk a bit about how to quiet your mind, how to quiet the thoughts, and then maybe also talk a bit more about kindness and forgiveness, because those were some topics of the questions yesterday. How does that sound? Is that a good idea? Or do you want something else? Okay, I think that's a good idea. Because everybody has thoughts going on in their meditation. And there's various ways to deal, deal with it. Because even the Buddha had some uh, struggled with thoughts before, before he was enlightened. And there's some sutta, some texts, we call them suttas, uh, talking about that as well. And I'll sort of talk about those texts in a bit of a roundabout way. I don't want to read out the text because yeah, if you just read the text, it's a bit boring. So I'll just talk about them using other similes and stuff. So this morning I was sitting in my hut meditating and instead of just being peaceful in the present, started thinking, what can I talk about? Can I talk about the arrow, letting the arrow fly, yeah. <laughs> the story, I'll talk about that. Shall I talk about that? And then at some point you realize 
the more I think about it, most of the things I'm not going to say anyway because it's much nicer just to improvise stuff. That's how we're trained as monks anyway. So I realized, okay, these thoughts are not helpful right now because it always feels if we plan for the future, if we have it all set out what, what is going to happen, that then we are best prepared for the future if we just think it through a lot. But this is actually often not the case. Often we think way too much about the future. And especially for me, giving these talks, as I said, if I think about them beforehand, I almost never say what I think I will say. <laughs> and it's, with the future is always like that. It never turns out the way you want it to be or the way you think it will be. Maybe not the way you want it to be, but the way you think it will be. Whatever you think it will be is always going to be different. So all these thoughts are not really preparing us for the future, really. They're mainly just our anxieties or our insecurities or, or just our restlessness or just our habits to think so much. But we give so much value to the thoughts. We think our thoughts are trustworthy and that our thoughts are the best thing ever. We, we can always rely on our thoughts, we think. If we just think it through, we'll find the answers. But through meditation and through life, you'll find that many of our thoughts are just garbage, really. <laughs> they, you can't really trust your thoughts as much as you think. So this is one thing you can do in your meditation, to just reflect on your thoughts. Are they really helping me? Or um, am I just getting stuck in the thoughts? Usually you'll find you just happen to think the same thoughts over and over again, isn't it? You just go into a loop. And uh, that reminds me actually of another story. There was an old wise woman living on top of a of a mountain, an old wise woman. Usually in these stories it's always, always an old wise man living on top of the mountain, isn't it? So I thought for a bit of uh, gender equality this time it was an old wise woman living on top of the mountain. The old wise man always has a beard in this story, so this old wise woman also has a beard in this story. <laughs> I don't know why I say that. This is you, you, can't, you, you never know what's coming out of your mouth during these talks, as I said. <laughs> anyway, old wise woman with a beard living on top of a mountain. And people in the village below knew there was this old wise woman. So every day they would come up and ask the old wise women. And they would ask and complain about their partners, about their job, about their family about their health and the old wise woman she would always answer one day she actually told a joke a joke about a carpenter who cut his hand off <laughs> <laughs> and the people were laughing it was a good joke a little bit rude but funny anyway 
And they left. And the next day they came back up to the mountain again. And they started complaining and, and asking questions about their partner, about their job, about their family, about their health. And the old wise woman answered the question and told the joke again about the carpenter cutting his hand off. And, okay, the people laughed again, but not as hard as last time, of course. They left again. Next day, they came back up the mountain, and they complained and asked questions again about their partner, about their job, about their family, about their health. And the old wise woman answered the questions and told the joke again about the carpenter. This time, the people were not laughing at all. And then the old wise woman said, Why can't you keep laughing at the same joke, but you're always complaining about the same problems? <laughs> Isn't that right? In our minds, we're always bringing up the same problems again and again. And what use is it, really? We're just going in a loop. Instead, we try in meditation try something new to find some silence in the mind and just to realize how these, these, these thoughts just keep going on and on and just realize that we need to try something new is already one way to create some distance between you and the thoughts. Don't make the thoughts so important as they as you think they are. Just give them some uh, perspective, basically, put some perspective on the thoughts. This is one way to quiet down your mind a bit. And also what I've been talking about before, to focus on beautiful things instead of the thoughts, focus on joy and, uh, and things like, like kindness. I'll come back to that, actually, to the kindness especially. There's one simile that I quite like to, to think about. <laughs> think about, you know, the thoughts again. But I, that I like to reflect upon uh, when I'm dealing with my own thoughts. This is one day when I was uh, a student. I was actually, as I told you before, I think. Was that on this retreat? I think so. That I lived in the city of Rotterdam. And as a student studying in another city, maybe an hour's travel away, I had to go by the metro, and then by train as well, every day, back and forth. I lived so far away because the student housing was much more cheap where I lived, so it was uh, quite nice, actually. But every day by train. And one day, I was standing on one of the train stations waiting for the train to go back to the city of Rotterdam where I lived. Now, there's two train stations in the city of Delft where I studied. One is the big one, the central train station, and then there's a very small one called Delft South, because it's in the south of Delft, that's why, of course. And that's a small train station, and many trains just pass it by, and only the, some of the uh, trains that stop everywhere, they stop there. And I, usually I go to the big train station, but depending on where I had my last lecture, I would sometimes go to the small train station, Del South. And I was standing on the train station, Del South, waiting for the train. And what happened? 
the train driver of the train coming forgot that he had to stop at that train station and only very last minute he started braking and he realized oh this trip I have to stop at Del South and he went full on the brakes because there were sparks flying everywhere from the wheels maybe you've seen some of those movies when the when train stop or whatever it's really like that in real life it was really all the iron smell in the air sparks everywhere and the really loud everybody was like this on the train station and what happened the train still overshot the train station and I think they probably have some regulations that they can't go backing up so he just took off and left uh, drove further and then I thought this is sort of like a simile of how sometimes I try to stop my thoughts in meditation I just try to pull the brake and stop them all at the same time in my mind basically stop all the thoughts be quiet stop but that doesn't work because how do they usually stop a train very far ahead they just already take their foot off the of the, the pedal and just the train gently comes into the station and it slows down more and more and, and finally it comes to a standstill in the, in the station because the train is so heavy you cannot just stop it straight away and if you try you'll get the ee of the train a lot of noise and you'll overshoot the station anyway so the same with thoughts when we have a lot of thoughts going on we might want to stop them all at once but one technique the Buddha taught, taught us about is to gently slowly let the thoughts settle because our thoughts have such a big momentum just like a big train has a big momentum we take it down slowly and steadily instead of all at the same time and the Buddha compared this to somebody who is running and then thinks oh why am I running maybe I should just walk there's no need to run and then they're, they're walking and they're thinking oh maybe I should just stand actually instead of walking they're standing oh maybe I should just sit down they sit down oh maybe I should just lie down <laughs> so they come, go from, from running to lying down not all at once though slowly bit by bit and so that's what I did this morning when I was thinking too much useless thoughts about what I'm going to talk about which things I think about I won't talk about anyway instead of stopping it all at once I was just like okay I'm just going to think less and less and just gently quiet the thoughts down by giving the thoughts less, important, less importance than I was just letting them settle down so this is one way that you can deal with your thoughts don't give them so much importance but also don't wish them all to go away all at once just realize that your thoughts have this momentum this uh, this aspect that it's not easy to stop them all at once just slowly quiet them down you can take as much time as you want with this and even just going from running to walking is already slowing down the same thing if you have 
100 thoughts a minute and you go to 90 thoughts a minute, it's already slowing down. Yeah, you don't have to aim for perfection with this. But then you go from 90 maybe to 70, slowly, slowly, and you can slow it down. Does that make any sense? Try that out when you're meditating. Because our thoughts, they, yeah, they, they often don't tell the truth and they just give us a lot of headaches often. And you'll find if you still down the thoughts, you get so much uh, more room in the mind for other things, for feelings of kindness and joy. Because the thoughts, they just take, they sap our energy away. It's amazing how much energy thoughts actually take. I think they did at some point some studies how much uh, different body parts, uh, how much energy they use. And the brain was like 30% of all the energy in the human body goes to the brain. Something like that. Like 30%. It's only a small part of our body and we move around all day, and the brain is just sitting there still. You might think, oh, that doesn't use much energy, but it actually uses most of, a lot of the energy that we, uh, that we get. I mean, like energy from food and this kind of stuff. And if you can still down the thoughts, I don't think they ever measured this, but I would say the brain starts using less energy because the thoughts are just one of the most energy-sapping things we have. And by stating down the thoughts, we open up the mind for new experiences. And it also gives room, as I said before, for kindness. Because kindness is not a thought. Kindness is really an emotion that, that you cannot really put into thoughts. And I want to speak a bit more about kindness and acceptance and compassion because that is sort of such an important part and sort of the theme of this mini retreat. And kindness is important towards ourselves, also important towards other people to be kind. Sometimes we think if we just tell people off and tell them what to do, then if we just tell them firmly, then they will do exactly what we want. But they did actually uh, some studies where they had people, volunteers, coming into a room, and in the room they had a bowl full of freshly baked cookies course very nice smelling and uh, they, they, they had two groups one group of people they, they said to them do not eat the cookies if you eat the cookies you fill the test and that's it and after they and the other group they also presented with cookies and they said oh, please can you not eat the cookies yeah Please don't eat the cookies. If you have any questions, please come and see us. We're next door. If you need the toilet, it's over here. So one group they were very firm with. The other group they were very kind with. Both had the same problem to not eat the cookies. 
And then afterwards, after like 15 minutes in the waiting room where they had these cookies, they took the people, both groups, and they had to do some tests with, with a computer, something about counting numbers or something. And by that they could judge how well the groups did with their counting test. I don't know exactly what the test was, but let's say they just had to add up numbers or something, something like that. Something very simple. And what they found was that the group that had been treated kindly did way better than the group that was treated badly. Which something with to do with the cookies, which you might say has nothing to do with your ability to count numbers. But it's just something about kindness that actually uh, makes people perform much better in life if we treat them kindly. So if you are a boss, maybe somewhere at a workplace, maybe take that into account. Treat your employees kindly and they might perform much better. It's the same with ourselves. If we treat ourselves badly, which is sometimes a natural, unfortunate attitude that we fall into, we treat ourselves badly, especially during meditation, then we, it doesn't go very well. We have to treat ourselves with kindness because we deserve the kindness. Maybe she'll t tell another story. Story, maybe some of you have heard. Who knows the story of Nanda Visali the ox? Nobody? Ah, you know it. Okay. <laughs> this is, is a Buddhist story. And it is, uh, in, in the Buddhist uh, canon of text, there's a lot of stories, and one of the canons has a lot of f kind of fairy tales in it. And this is a little bit of a fairy tale. It's called about Nanda Visali the ox. Nanda Visali the ox was an ox living a long time ago in India. And Nanda Visali the ox had an owner, a rich farmer. And Nanda Visali the ox told the farmer one day, farmer, go find a rich merchant and make a bet with him that I can pull a thousand carts. All right, said the farmer, I'll do that. So he found somebody, a merchant, and said, my ox says that he can pull a thousand carts. What, said the merchant, impossible. Bet a thousand coins that, you could, that he can't do that. All right, said the farmer. So they made the bet, shook hands, a thousand coins that non-divisali the ox can pull the thousand cards. So, well, very difficult to get a thousand cards together. It took them a while, but they eventually put all the cards in line, put them all together, and then put non-divisali the ox in front of it. And non-divisali the ox took a deep breath. This is like the Arnold Schwarzenegger of oxes. He put all his muscles together and started pulling. And then the farmer, the owner, said, Okay, you stupid ox, go and pull it. You lousy ox, I bet you can't do it, but pull. Huh? 
huge failure of an ox. And then if he sally, pull, try to pull, try to pull, try to pull. But the cards didn't move. And then the farmer was very upset with Nandarisali. And he said, what you told me that you could pull these thousand cards. Now I love, lost all that money. And they said Nandarisali, but you didn't treat me very well. Try again. Now find an even richer merchant and bet 2,000 coins that I can pull the cards and treat me well. Okay, said the farmer. And he found another merchant and said, well, my ox, blah, 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 blah. 2,000 coins bet. Yes, said the merchant, will bet. He can't do that. I'm sure I've never seen an ox pull a thousand cards. It's impossible. And so again, a thousand cards. They put Nanavisali, the ox, in front. His yoke on. Nanavisali, again, took a deep breath. And he struggled and he strained. And the farm said, Ah, oh, please, you can do it. Ah, oh, you're so kind. If you can't do it, Nanavisali, that's okay, you know. It's only money. Ah, I don't care. I'm here for you, Nandavisali. You're my favorite ox anyway, whether you feel or not. And Nandavisali, pulling, 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 and yes, slowly but surely, the cart started moving. And Nandavisali took one step, and another step, and another step, and yes. He was walking, he was pulling a thousand cards, and the merchant couldn't believe his eyes. But the farmer won the bet. And this is the story from the time of the Buddha. And the moral of the story is obviously not go and find a strong ox and make a bet. <laughs> the moral of the story is kindness towards others makes them perform much better in life. Of course, it's not important that they are physically performing better, but they will be mentally doing much better. That's the moral of the story. And also kindness towards ourselves, kindness towards our own emotions is also so important. I can't under-appreciate uh, the importance of kindness in meditation. And that's why after this talk I will do a guided meditation, as I promised yesterday, specifically on kindness. And kindness and thinking seem maybe on the surface unrelated topics, but they are very much related actually. When you have thoughts that you may not like and you want to get rid of, what do you do? Well, I've already told you before the simile of the broken wheel. You don't go kick the wheel and say, you stupid wheel, go away. No, you just have acceptance of the wheel. But it must go even beyond acceptance. We must have kindness as well. Once upon a time, another story actually from the Buddhist texts. Once upon a time, 
that was a king. M many of these stories, for some reasons, have all these kings in them. I don't know why. Maybe they were told to kings in the past or whatever. Or maybe people would... Maybe kings were the Johnny Depps of that time or something. <laughs> That's what people were always talking about. But there was another king. There were many kings during that time, actually, in India. Not just one, but many. And the king had a beautiful palace with a beautiful throne, a throne made of gold and diamonds and other gemstones. And the king would spend his days on the throne. This was, of course, the place where only the king was allowed to sit. Nobody else was allowed to sit on the throne. One day the king left to visit another country to do some of the diplomat stuff that kings do. And while the king was away, what happened? A ugly demon came into the palace. And the guards tried to stop the demon. Hey, you can't come in here, but the demon was much stronger than the guards and just pushed them away. And he walked into the palace and bam, sat right down on the throne. <laughs> the guards and the other people in the palace came. Hey, you stinky demon. It was a really vile demon. He was stinky and ugly. And uh, you wouldn't want to be with this demon. And they said, get away from this throne, you ugly demon. You stupid creature. This is the king's throne. You should not be here. And with every vile word that they said, every angry thing that they uttered, something magical happened. The demon grew bigger, more ugly even, and he began to, st began to stink more with every word that they said. And then they even tried to hit the demon. Get off of here. You shouldn't be on this throne. You don't belong here. And with every hit and every ugly word, the demon just grew and grew and grew until the palace head ceiling was against the demon's head. That's how big he was. And he had ugly horns and ugly teeth. Then, luckily, the king came back from from his journey. And the king was a very wise king. And the king had a look at the ugly demon and he saw what was happening. So he went up to the ugly demon and said, Welcome, wonderful being, to my palace. Can I offer you a cup of tea, perhaps? Is there anything else that you need? Can I give you some food? How are you doing today? How is your family, your wife and kids? <laughs> Don't know if demons have wife and kids. but And with every kind word, you know what happened. The demon shrank. His teeth became smaller and smaller. He was less stinky. 
and he began to shrink and shrink. And soon enough, the demon was back to his original size. But the king kept offering him drinks, being kind to him, looking him in the eye. And the demon shrank even more and more and more until he was only this big. And then the king still treating him with kindness and he was still shrinking, the demon was still shrinking, shrinking, shrinking until poof, the demon disappeared altogether. And the throne was back to the king. And this is a simile of how we should deal with the thoughts in our mind or the emotions that we're struggling with. You've got something going on in your life, I'm pretty sure, that you are not too happy with or in your mind. How do you deal with this? Do you treat it like, go away, stupid problem. I don't want you here. Get out of my life. You don't belong, stinky problem. Or are you like the king? I say, I'm here for you. I will care for you. I'll do whatever you want for you. How are you doing? Etc. If you are the first way, your problem be like the demon and just grow more stinky and strong. If you are, use the second way, using kindness, compassion, then the problem will shrink. Slowly, surely. And that's such a wonderful story, I feel. Because it shows you the, the strength of compassion in a very visual, visual way. And there's a need for compassion. Because we all have problems in life. And that's why we need to care. Remember that yesterday and during the questions and answers I asked, raise your hand if you are not perfect. And everybody raised their hand. And which they should as well. Because we are all not perfect. And we all have our little problems. And when people have problems... That's exactly the reason why we should care for them. It's not, if people were perfect and didn't have problems, there would be no reason to care for them. And the same with ourselves. If we were perfect and didn't have any problems, what's the reason for caring? Monks make a lot of similes with cops because we always have a cup nearby. I remember I did the simile of the cup with the water settling down. There's another simile that Ajahn Chah, that's my teacher's teacher, made up using a cup. And he said to his audience, look at this cup, look very closely. Do you see that the cup is broken? And the people were like, no, we don't see the cup is broken. But Ajahn Chah said, yes, the cup is broken. You might not see it yet, but there is minuscule cracks already in the cup. And one day I will accidentally drop the cup and it will break. Why? Because this cup is made out of uh, earthenware. 
ceramics. But if the cup was made out of plastic, then it wouldn't break. But it is exactly because this cup is breakable, that's why I should be careful. And I should not just put it on the edge or whatever. I have to take care of this cup exactly because it is the nature of this cup to be fragile and breakable. When I was a young man, my mother always gave me the plastic IKEA cups. <laughs> yeah, you know those ones. Why? Because uh, she didn't want us to break them. But by always giving me plastic cups, and I say young man because she kept giving me until I was like, I don't know, 16 or whatever, still drinking out of plastic cups. I never learned how to be careful with cups. <laughs> So, only much later I learned how to be careful with cups. But, yeah, like glass cups and ceramic cups, that's what we are all in life. None of us is a plastic cup. We all have tiny cracks already inside and we're all breakable. And this is why we should learn to care for ourselves and others. Because we are, we are not perfect. And we need compassion and kindness. And you'll find if you practice kindness and compassion, your whole life will become more rich and you just feel much better. Yesterday somebody asked the question, if I stay in the present moment, I can do it for 15 minutes, but after that I get a bit, bit bored and I don't know what to focus on. And then one of my suggestions was focus on kindness. And I also said you can also focus on joy or on the breath. But to focus specifically on kindness is one such strong tool that I've been using so much that I want to share that with you now in a little guided meditation where we will do the Buddhist practice of what is called metta meditation, the practice of loving kindness, where we share feelings of love and kindness for everybody and all living creatures in the world. So maybe uh, I'll give you five minutes to stretch again and uh, do other important business, and after that we can do the guided meditation. I think most people are back. Um, lady just walked up to me and said, oh, last night somebody asked a question about jhana, uh, the deep meditations, and you said come to a nine-day retreat or to, to learn more about that. And she said, there's this nice book in the Jhana Grove uh, library about the jhana. So whoever asked that question, if you want to know more, I'll leave this book lying here and you can pick it up later if you want and have a read and just return it to one of the caretakers afterwards. Only for the person who asked the question. Nobody else can take it. <laughs> now you can read it afterwards as well, of course. So... 
Let's do a the meditation together on loving kindness. Loving kindness always starts with the realization that everybody in the world is suffering. Nobody is 100% happy 100% of the time. Now, what this philosopher, this German philosopher called Schopenhauer, and he summed it up pretty well. Schopenhauer was very much inspired by Buddhism and other Eastern religion, and he said something. He said it in German, but it translates something like, "There's only one error we are born with: the exception that we should always be happy in life." or that life is to be lived in order to be happy. Because Buddhism teaches you something different. That in life there is suffering. And this is the reality of life. And this is not to put you down or make you sad, but this is actually uh, to face life as it actually is. And with that realization in mind that there is suffering for everybody, it's like the cup which is already broken. We realize that we need to be kind and have a loving heart to everybody. So that will be the underlying idea underneath the meditation that we will be doing right now. But before we go there, as always with meditation, make sure you find a nice posture to sit in. Just take your time again to adjust your body to whatever it needs today. Hopefully you've been gaining some skill in this over the weekend to get in touch with your body. See what's going on in there at least at the start of the meditation. This is a very good thing to do. Just take note of your body, see if there's any areas of tightness or tension that need some relief, anything you need to move or adjust or scratch. This is the perfect time for that. Maybe you need to straighten your back a bit. Move your legs or your neck. Maybe even stretch your neck a bit like I am doing right now. Just to get a bit more comfort. Because we will be sitting here for about half an hour. So it's important that we have some posture that we can sit in for that long.
Just be kind to your body. Give it the opportunity to become reasonably relaxed. Never underestimate the importance of this step in meditation. Because you don't want to one day have a really nice deep meditation only to be drawn out of it because your posture was bad and your body starts aching all over the place. So let your body become at ease as much as you can right now. Not looking for perfection. But just something that's as best as you can relax your body in this moment right here. Just let all the weight fall off your body and just relax. You can even take a deep breath in. Then on the out breath, just let it all go. Relax. And all the tension just flow off. And you can spend doing quite a long time relaxing your body like we did yesterday. But alternatively, you can do other things as well. And today we decided we will focus on loving kindness on the feeling of metta. So we will now let the body be for what it is. Just arrive here in this moment, this place. Again, coming back to the present moment. Find some grounding here. sense of belonging and safety within this group. In this place, this world, it's all gonna be okay.
just being here. No need to worry about the future, about the past. No need to fight anything, regret anything, plan anything. Just be here. Whatever meditation I do, out of the many subjects that we are taught, I always start at least five minutes doing this, relaxing my body and arriving in the present moment before I pick up any specific meditation, if I do at all. I might just stay with the body or the present moment. But I always take this five minutes just to arrive where we are, where you are. Then today, we will start doing the practice of kindness and love, compassion. The practice of loving kindness is like lighting a fire. When you light a fire, it starts with a small spark. The small spark lights up the kindling, small flame, which then becomes bigger and bigger as we throw upon the fire bigger and bigger pieces of wood. Likewise, metta meditation, we start the feeling of love and kindness with a tiny little spark. And that tiny little spark of kindness, love, we grow and grow until it becomes a small fire. The small fire turns into a medium fire and becomes a big fire bigger and bigger until the brightness of the fire shines over the whole world or the whole universe. But we start small and see how big our fire can get today. How do we do this? Imagining some person or some animal maybe even, that we have natural feelings of kindness towards. Maybe one of our parents or a teacher or a good friend Or maybe a pet, also possible. And choose somebody where the kindness is not intermixed with 
are there complicating feelings like don't pick somebody who's passed away where you have a lot of grief still. You can pick somebody who passed away if you feel comfortable with it. Don't have any grief anymore. But if you have grief, don't do that. Also don't pick a person we are sexually attracted to strongly. Because that may also mix up the emotions. Pick somebody or some person or animal where you can have a pure feeling of kindness towards. I'm imagining an old friend. She actually did pass away. That's okay. And just imagine being with that person or animal. Imagine being in each other's presence. And imagine that person not being so, doing so well, or that animal. I'm just gonna use person from now on, but if you chose an animal, just imagine that. That the person is suffering and you are there to comfort them. To help them through the difficult times. What would you do to show that you care? Just imagine the situation. Maybe you give that person a, a hug and a pat on the back. You speak kind words to that person. You are fully there for that person to help them through these periods. hope that this person may find happiness again. May find comfort again. May find health. And see if by imagining this scenario, somewhere inside of you, you can feel this little spark 
of what I can only best call love. This deep sense of caring This sense that you really hope this person will do okay, will be okay. And see if you can make this little spark grow into a small flame by caring for it. Just like gently blowing on a small glowing piece of wood can make it turn into a flame. Like gently being with this feeling of love, we can make it grow. And if this feeling to you presents itself as if it were in a specific place in your body, you can even imagine like there is a light shining there, like a fire, but a fire of love. And you make this light grow stronger. Now imagine your person again. And now with your little bit stronger love than before, imagine sharing this with the person again. Sharing on the emotional level. Just your presence and the presence of this feeling of love and this person. And just dwell with this feeling. It's natural, just like a fire, that sometimes it becomes a bit less strong, and then it flares up again. But every time it gets a bit weaker, we kindle it again. And slowly we try to expand the, the feeling.
Now we've got a little small fire of this feeling going on. Maybe some of you are still struggling to find it. That's okay. This is maybe your first time trying. That's all right. If it if you don't cannot relate to what I'm saying. But try and follow along anyway with the following instructions. To let this feeling of love and compassion now flow to the people in this room. If it helps, you can imagine your person is still also here, the person you were imagining before. But now also include other people as well. All the people here, we've all come with our own problems in life, some small ones, some big ones, but we are all like the broken cups, so we're all deserving of love and compassion. And as one of these people, we can spread this loving feeling to all the other people in this room. Just imagine you're embracing all the people in this room with your mind. May all these people be happy. May they fulfill their aspirations. And may my caring for them help them along the path of life that they have in front of them. All these people here are worthy of being loved. Now, your fire may have become even bigger by including more people, your fire of love. Now we spread it out even further outside of this room, including your retreat managers outside, 
all the animals living in the forest, everybody in this plot of land called Jana Grove, human or non-human animals, all of them we care for. We share loving feelings too. May they all be relieved of suffering. Then we go even further, spreading out beyond the boundaries of Jana Grove, across the road, into the monastery of Bodhinyana, and even further into the town down below. where in, John, in Bodhinyana, a town called Serpentine, so many people, we care for them as well. And if at any time your fire starts to die down a bit, then again, this is natural. Just care for whatever small flames you might still feel. Spreading even further our feeling also encompassing the prison down the road where these poor men would, because of circumstances in life, made some bad decisions. Some may be even there because of faults in the law. They are really suffering in there. They don't want to be there. So we care for them as well. Now include the whole of Western Australia. All the millions of people living here. May they be happy and well. Include also the rest of Australia, everything over east and south and north and west. 
May all beings in Australia be relieved of suffering and I am there for them to care. including now the whole planet Earth with all its inhabitants. People suffering in the poor countries, people suffering in the rich countries, people suffering in times of war and in times of peace as well. beings, animals, in bad places or good places. We care for all of them. and spread even further to include perhaps other places in the universe as well where there may be life. Higher forms of existence or anything. To spread out the feeling of love through everything that there is. Now come back again. It's a big ask to spread love towards everything. So we come back again to the person or animal that we started with. Imagine them again. Imagine caring for them. And now imagine them caring for you in return. Them giving you a hug. rubbing you on the back, relieving you of some of your sorrows. Being there for you. 
And finally, now imagine you yourself loving yourself in this way. I will be there for me. In the good times and the bad. Because I care for myself. And I am worthy of my own love. I will go through suffering in life. This is all right. I will always be there for me. For both my body and mind, I embrace both of you. Without any questions asked, any prerequisites, I accept my body as it is. I accept my mind as it is with tenderness and caring. I accept myself fully as it is. This is almost the end of this half hour. Just take a minute to arrive back here in this place and time called Jana Grove. Back in this hall. And imagine this feeling of kindness, this fire that we've built up Imagine like your heart is a little box and then you open up the lid of that box in your heart and you put the feeling of kindness inside of there. Then you close the box. So the love is always with you and whenever necessary, you can open this box inside of you and spread the feeling of love towards others and towards yourself as well, whenever needed. So just store the feeling of love somewhere deep inside. Imagining a little box or anything else that you might find helpful to carry this feeling along for the rest of your lives.
So that's one way to practice what we call metta meditation. One of my main practices, I find it so valuable. What was it like for you? Did you like it? Yes? Could you relate to it? Yeah? For some of you it may be new, as I said also during uh, the, uh, the guidance. When you're new to it, it may not be uh, relatable, but keep trying to spark this feeling of love. And this is just one way to do it, the way that I taught you, by starting with an imagine, with, a, with a friend that you imagine and then spreading it out towards the whole world. But you might have noticed that throughout my guidance, maybe there were certain places where you felt especially uh, like connected, like the feeling just came more strongly, for example, just being with the person, or maybe when I mentioned the people over in the jail or whatever. If at any place you find the love springs more naturally, then you can also just dwell on that and stay there. Ideally, at one point, you even let go of all imagining and all imagining the world, the universe, whatever, and just be with the feeling of love as it is, and just like you are just with the fire, in front of the fire, and you just warm yourself by the fire. And that's all your experience is the feeling of loving and kindness. And you just stay with that. And that is just a, such a wonderful experience if you can do that. So I hope that was helpful to you. Really, I, you might have noticed that during this retreat, I did not really speak much about breath meditation. It's another very important type of meditation. But to me, the feeling of loving and acceptance always come first. So that's why I focused on it during this retreat. And really don't underestimate the uh, strength and value of this. The Buddha even during, when he gave his talk on meditation on breathing, which is one of the old texts that we have, it doesn't just start off with meditation on breathing. The Buddha actually said, in this monastery where he was teaching, there's lots of monks. And lots of monks practice different types of meditation. And some practice this loving kindness that I've been talking about to you about. Some practice compassion. Some practice the contemplation of the body. And some practice meditation on the breathing. But he never said that any of those subjects were better than any others. So if you have been taught meditation on the breathing before and you feel like it is not working very well, however you resonate a lot with this loving kindness approach that I've been teaching you, then the Buddha was saying you can do that instead and it's just as valuable and it will lead you to all the same places as well. So, hope that is helpful and we will see each other again later today, I believe. For now, enjoy your lunch. And we'll see each other again. Oh yes, of course.
Let's say sadhu with a loving heart towards everybody in this room. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu.